Hey, good morning, everybody. Well, after, actually, good afternoon. How are you all doing? This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. I actually did a show a couple of weeks ago, and we were having some technical difficulties, so I was going through a few things here. And um, so now I think I'm ready to get back started. And, and I know, like, oh, you say that every time. Yeah, I say it every time. But then life happens. I mean, everything that's happened over the last four years, really three, four years, um, it's been a lot. And many of you that have been listening, you know what's been going on in my life. I tell you some things. I tell you actually very few. If you knew everything that was happening, it would just be like, what the hell, right? So anyway, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. So today's show is entitled, The Bell is Tolling. And I just put some general information in here. It just says, please join us as we discuss current events and what brought us to this point. And I'll go back in and put some more information in, put some more tags and all of that a little bit later. Um, I just want to make sure that I got some of this out today, you know, talking about some of the things, especially what's happened within the last week or so. And y'all, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's happening but I definitely need you guys to pay attention. I don't know if you all saw the post that I made, and you may have seen around the Internet because it was a bunch of people posting it, but it was talking about the gross domestic product and how it failed, right? And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it fell 32.9%, and this is just the second quarter of the GDP. Now, that is what they use to rate the economy. So when you hear them saying that, oh, well, the economy is good, they're looking at the GDP, right? And I believe the estimate last year, they thought that the market was going to correct itself at about 7 8%. So they just thought it was going to be a correction with the GDP at about 7 8%. But just this quarter alone at 32.9%, you know, that's something definitely to be worried about. And so, again, when you hear the pundits and you hear the president and people like that talking about the economy, they're specifically pointing at the GDP and the stock market. And I hope that you all have been paying attention to what's been happening because there are a lot of things changing in this economy, but they judge it by the GDP and the stock market. The rest of us, you know, we look at the economy about, you know, in, in different ways. We look at it as, are we working? Are we underemployed, unemployed? You know, do we have enough food in our refrigerator? Can we afford to pay our rent? Can we afford to buy food? Can, you know, there are some of us that used to give to the food depository, and now some of those same people are now recipients. And this is serious, what's happening with the economy in this country. So we'll get back to that because that's going to be a little bit longer of a conversation. But, you know, that right there, I definitely want you all to pay attention to because I've been warning you for many years that the market was going to correct itself seriously. And that seems to be what's happening now. And, you know, again, you know, Warren Buffett gave us a warning. It was Mar Warren Buffett and Mark Cuban and a number of other ones. They had a conversation. And this was about a month ago. And they were talking about the market. 
and how volatile the market really is right now and how you have speculators. That's people like me who are not (laughs) market experts, um, not an expert at picking stocks or anything like that, but people who kind of play around a little bit with the market. And they're like, you speculators are, you know, basically creating a false bubble, you know, thinking that we're experts at the market because we made a little bit of money, right? And there are a lot of people doing that, but the market is about to correct itself. And I'm just trying to let you guys know what's happening because there are a number of us that have pulled our money out. And that's for a reason. So whether you stay in or you stay out, that's you, you know, I'm not giving anybody any advice. All I'm saying is you need to pay attention to what's happening, but most importantly, you need to pay attention to what is not being said. Okay, so you know, that's that's the advice I have for you regarding personal investments. Um, you know, you can get into the bond market and also there are ETFs out there that you can get involved with that basically um you know, they deal with bull and bear markets. So just do your research, do your due diligence, and figure it out from there. But, um, hey, you guys, I need you to be careful. And also, what's been interesting is the Senate has gone on their little vacation, and they went on their little time off, you know, um, or their break, because they do that every time this year. The House is still in session, or at least they were. I think they're still in session. But the the Republicans in the Senate have not been able to reach any type of agreement amongst each other in regards to the economy and how they're going to help out individual people, how they're going to help out the states, how they're going to help out, you know, these local municipalities, um, what they're going to do with the corporations, because many Republicans feel as though they've given enough and that the American public doesn't deserve any more money. You know, take that 1200 and run with it. That's supposed to last you the duration of this depression that we're in. And there are some that do not want to give the states any money, but they want to give trillions of dollars more to these large organizations, these large corporations. And you need to be asking yourself, why? Why are they giving the money to these corporations who have not necessarily been built up to be self-sustainable. Now, they're telling us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we should have been prepared for a situation like this. And I remember, you know, um, economics class way back in the day, as well as the economics classes that I took in college. And they would tell us that we should have a certain amount of money saved up so that if a calamity or an emergency happened in our personal lives, that we would have money there, you know, have that one credit card that you don't use and use that. But, you know, again, generally they were telling people to save between three to six months of rent and bill money. And the truth of the matter is most people don't even have one month. Most people are living hand to mouth. And we got to go all the way back to 2007, 2008 when our economy was wiped out then. Most people have not recovered from that. I know specifically the black and brown communities have not recovered from that. Then we got to take it all the way back to 2000, 2001, and two when these tech companies went belly up. And the thing about a lot of these tech companies is when they are created, they are not created to generate profit. They are um, created to be in the red. They don't necessarily expect profits. 
right? And I know some people are saying, well, what about Microsoft? Microsoft is not a tech company. Microsoft is a marketing company. And many people miss that. Microsoft is a marketing company, you know, but, you know, trying to explain that to people sometimes is like, you know, talking to a brick. I would just say go out and read some information, go get some literature talking about Microsoft specifically and their purpose and the role they play in our economy. And, you know, it'd be interesting. But again, going back to some of these larger corporations, they were not created to be self-sustainable. So this is why the government comes in and bails them out with trillions of dollars. I mean, I've been saying for years, and this is the truth, that our economy has been built on, you know, basically a bubble. And it's a false economy because the reason for that is because they've been printing up all of this extra money and dumping it in there. So the question is, how are these companies staying in business? What's really happening behind the scenes? You know, I've talked about some of these corporations and how they're money laundering schemes. And some of them are. Even some of your churches money laundering schemes. And I just need for you all to pay attention and do your due diligence and start asking questions. That's the thing. They've, they've trained you to not question things, just to accept them as they are. And, you know, the dumbing down of America, it is a very true reality because some of the things that I see people saying and some of the things I see people doing I'm like, what in the hell is really going on around here? So when I tell you all to use critical thinking skills, I'm talking about on every in every area of your life. You know, every area of your life is extremely important that you understand that and that you utilize those, you know, critical thinking skills and to assess what's happening with you, but not only just yourself, you know, because, yes, I do believe in individuality. That I do believe in. However, I also believe in collectivism, and you need to see what's happening to, you know, your siblings. How are their lives situated? Look at your nieces and nephews, your great nieces and nephews. Look at your cousins, your aunts. Not everybody is doing well, and you need to take all of that into consideration when you start making certain choices because the way things are happening now we're going to be more dependent on people in our families and each other, your friends. And it's a very real reality that a lot, that a lot of people are living right now. You know, they just allowed the moratorium on rent and, and mortgages to drop, it's, it, you know, J- July 31st. It's over. We're already reading stories about people decapitating their landlords that, you know, in different cities around the country, how they're fighting, you know, they're doing the rent strikes, but they're also stopping these landlords and these corporations, you know, these wealthy white male landowners from putting people out on the street. We're about to see an explosion of homelessness. And and with that comes more clusters of the coronavirus, which still isn't under control. And, you know, I walk around and I see people, you know, like I'll drive to the grocery store or sometimes I just get in my car and drive around because I just don't want to be in the house. And I'm looking at people walking around without masks, primarily white people, but I got to remember black people only make 8% of the population in the town in which I reside. 
But, you know, when I see older black people or some of the younger black people not wearing masks, I will roll down my window. Or if I'm walking by them, I would ask them if they have a mask. And most of the time, they're like, yeah, it's in my pocket. And then I just give them this look, and I'm like, okay, I just want to know if you had one, because if you needed one, I had one to spare. You know, and I always keep extra masks in my car specifically for that. You know, and I remember offering one to this white man, older white man, senior, right? And he looked at me like I was an alien. So I stopped. <laughs> I stopped offering. And so, um, guys, you know, Herman Cain, you know, who just passed away, and, you know, (laughs) he was saying that it was a hoax. He was talking about how if you look at the numbers and you look at the statistics, and there's a book out there I actually really want you to read. I believe the name of the book is How to Lie with Statistics, right? I'm looking it up on Amazon as we speak. And it's a good book, and it tells you how statisticians are liars and how they manipulate those numbers. Um, And also, I'll give you a good example. You'll hear a commercial, and they will say, basically, um, you know, three out of four doctors agree that this is the best, you know, food you can give, you know, well, this is the best medicine that you can you know, not FDA-approved medicine, maybe some vitamins that somebody made up. And, you know, this is what's best for you, and, and, and you should take it. But three out of those four people are veterinarians who have no clue who just took their check and walked away. Yeah, and the name of the book is How to Lie with Statistics. It's written by Daryl Huff, and it's actually a really, really good book. I remember I had to read that like um, first or second year in college, and I read it again most recently. When was that? That had to have been 2006, 2007, and I got more out of it then because, again, as you get older, you have more experience, you live life a little bit. There's a lot of things that look a lot differently when you're in the position you know, of power, when you're steering your own life, not when you have your parents and other adults telling you what to do and how to do things, when all the responsibility falls on you. This adulting thing is not fun. And had I know it would, had known that it would come to this, I would not have been in such a hurry to be an adult. You know, um, if, if I had to do it all over again, you know, I probably, not probably, I would have done some things much differently. But that's neither here nor there because I can't really complain because in spite of everything that's happened, you know, I've always landed on my feet. And that's not the story for everyone. And I understand that and I get that. And that's why I try to be as helpful and I try to be giving and I try to be generous when I can. You know, but one of the things that's kind of jaded me over the years is that with some of those people, you know, not only were they ingrates, you know, they they expect you to continue to do those things and and not see any type seek any type of recompense, you know, no reciprocity whatsoever. And when you ask them about, well, you know, I was there for you with A B C D. You know, depending on who you're talking to, they're like, yeah, God blessed you. He blessed you to be a blessing while they're begging for more. 
And that's one of the issues I have with people, you know, not only with church people, but, you know, you see the same thing amongst the heathens as well, right? But, you know, we're we're going to get into that probably another day. But, um, you know, the whole thing is interesting. But, again, I just want you to pay attention to what's happening to others around you. And just because everything may seem to look normal, that does not mean that everything is normal. You know, everything in our lives have changed. I think globally we're depressed. And I'm talking about collectively, you know, the human race. I believe globally we're depressed because look at what is happening with this coronavirus. The coronavirus alone, you know, was a a mind fuck for me. I don't know about the rest of you, but for me, I didn't want to watch television. I didn't want to watch the news. After a certain point, I couldn't read my books. I didn't want to read, you know, my physical books or my e-books or listen to my audibles. I just had to turn everything off. And I've gotten better. But, um, you know, I still go through those time periods in which I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to read shit. I don't want to hear about shit. I don't want to know about it. And I know I'm not the only one. You know, there were some articles and some studies that came out, and it was assuring and confirming that, you know, having these types of feelings is is normal in a time such as this. But getting back to Herman Cain, I didn't forget, you know, he was trying to say that the coronavirus situation pandemic was a hoax. And he decided to go to that Trump rally. I think he went to the one in Arizona. No mask, taking pictures, you know, smiling and cheesing and hucking and bucking for these folks. And next thing we know, he got the Rona. And I think it was like 12 days after the rally. And I I believe two weeks is like the incubation period, you know, from, from what I remember reading, right? So 12 days later, he was diagnosed with the Rona. And at one point last week, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, and the family was asking for prayers and thoughts and well wishes and all of those wonderful things. And on Thursday, it was announced that he had passed away. Now, and, you know, it's a trip because they were saying that your thoughts and prayers were working and all of these wonderful things, and then we lost them. He transitioned out. He died or expired or however you want to, you know, categorize that. And it's just really interesting. So, no, I'm not celebrating a man's death. That's not what I'm doing, and you won't ever hear me doing any such thing. But what I'm saying is you can't necessarily take a lot of these people's word, word, you can't take their word at this shit. And especially when I see some people in the heathen community, the atheist, agnostic, non-believing, free thought, whatever you want to categorize yourself as. When I see some of them arguing about how this coronavirus isn't, you know, isn't real, and then they want to argue that, you know, more people die from the flu than they do from the coronavirus. And... Again, you have to go back. You have to look at these numbers. There are certain ways that you have to calculate these statistics and calculate these numbers. However, I don't remember the flu 
killing 200,000 people in a matter of six, eight to eight months in the same year because the estimated forecast, if you will, for the number of deaths by the end of August, they're estimating that by the end of August, 200,000 people will have died. Now, personally, I believe that number is too low. I believe we're 100, 150,000 people short. And this is one of the reasons why they're arguing those statistics. And even with Herman Cain saying that there is no second wave, look at the numbers, and, you know, it's misleading and they're lying to you. No, this is the thing. We never crushed the first bubble. So you can't have a second wave until you flatten that line. That's common sense. So what's happening is that first wave is still hot and it's still live. And what's happening is it's bubbling up. They never got it under control to flatten it so that the second wave can come in, which means we're in for a hot damn mess. And, um, you know, I'm just asking you guys to be careful. Go out and read the science because I don't understand some people in the atheist community, how they're against science when it comes to this. But then you want to have these pseudo-intellectual conversations about microorganisms and single-cell organisms, knowing that many of you don't understand that either. And I'm not an expert in it either, so which is why I don't talk about it as much as I possibly could. I know more than I thought I did, but, you know, I had to go back and read. And that's one thing I am grateful to, you know, the community about is the fact that it made me turn my brain back on in certain respects um, to go back and start reading more and reassessing some of my belief systems and my particular ideologies and philosophies. And there's been a lot of personal growth from that. However, you know, with some of the people that I see running around in the community, you know, somewhat being anti-science in some respects, I have to go and I have to look at their backgrounds and see how they may have transitioned out of religion or what they were studying before they came into religion. And, you know, we've talked about some of these black nationalists, you know, especially, you know, Hebrew Israelites and, you know, some of these people, I'll call them no teps and the pseudoscience and the pseudo-intellectualism coming from, you know, people like that. And so I have to give a white example. You have some of these white nationalists. You have some of these militias. You know, you have some of these eugenicists, you know, that are out here saying some of the same thing. And so you need to pay attention to who's saying it. And what's interesting is, you know, there is, you know, very interesting relationships with some of these black nationalists and some of these white nationalists, you know, again, there is a common thread there. And that common thread is patriarchy, homophobia, and capitalism. They believe in the same things. One wants it in white face, one wants it in black face, but it's the same white supremacist talking points. And I need for you guys to, to, to listen closely and listen carefully to what, you know, some of these people are saying. And, you know, again, you have some of these white atheist organizations and some of these white, you know, um, wealthy or well-to-do or celebrity white atheists that are out here recruiting black people. And some of the blacks that are out here shucking and jiving for them, they're doing it because they're getting paid. They're getting paid 
they're getting whatever celebrity and power they think that they have, which they really have none. But, you know, we'll let them live in that delusion and we'll let them wallow around in that bile that they consider, you know, um, their talking points, right? And, you know, um, in general, you know, church folks will call the atheist community a den of iniquity. There is a lot of sexual degradation, um, a lot of predation. You know, you have sexual predators peppered all throughout the atheist community. But, I mean, you see the same thing in the Christian community, except in the atheist community, they try to cover it up. So, you know, and I've been one to talk about it. You know, I've been naming names. I don't give a fuck. And we all know that I don't. So, you know, I'm just saying all of this, that, yes, use your critical thinking skills. I want you to be logical about things. But you know what? If you're emotional about some things, that's okay. Don't allow some of these people in these, you know, communities, you know, whether it's Christian, Muslim, atheist, whatever, don't allow these people to discount your emotions and your feelings. That is a part of who you are. That is who makes us who we are. That is a part of our humanness or a part of our humanity. And there's a difference between the word humanity and humanness. And when I say humanist, I'm not talking H-U-M-A-N-I-S-T. I'm talking H-U-M-A-N-N-E-S-S. And I want you to look that word up and, and look at the definition and apply it to yourself because some of us are way too hard on ourselves. I always used to tell you guys to be kind to yourselves. And I said that back in the day, and I'm going to start saying it again. Be kind to yourself. Love yourself, especially in these particular times that we're living in. It's extremely important because, you know, I see people every day, and they're they're discouraged. And I always try to say a word of encouragement. I try to lift people up. You know, I, I try to do, you know, wonderful things if I can. But sometimes I don't have enough for myself, let alone someone else. And that happens. And don't feel bad or guilty because it's like you can't help anyone else if you can't help yourself. So you got to build yourself up, you know, um, not to be quoting Donald Lawrence and his and, and his religious music. But, you know, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. And that's the truth. So anyway, that's that right there. And it's a lot more that I could talk about with that. And you know, throughout this conversation, you know, I will definitely be hitting on more of those topics. But, you know, there are some things that I definitely want to address before I circle my way back. But to the Herman Cain family and the John Lewis family, you know, their family, their friends and the people that follow them, my sincere condolences to you guys. And, and you know, I hope that you find some peace and tranquility and, and, that their memories live forever in your hearts, you know, and there were a lot of deaths in between. And so that's extended to all the other people out there that we've lost most recently and not only politicians and celebrities, but I'm talking about even for your cousin, you know, John over there or, you know, your auntie Anita or whoever, my condolences to all of you because all of us are living through this um, many of us, if we have not experienced personal deaths and personal losses, we know people who have. You know, we've had some, you know, some some devastation in our family over the last three years. And um, that's one of the reasons why 
I had to pull back because when my mom and my two aunts died within a 35-day period of 2019, you know, the first 35 days of the year, I was devastated. You know, and um, I'm really just kind of coming to terms with, you know, my mom's death. And so I went through the stages of grief, and I'm still going through them. It's not something that you go through one time. And sometimes we get stuck on certain stages, but um, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But what I'm telling you is that it's okay and it's normal. And there are people out there for you to talk to. There are hotlines for you to call. You know, we did a couple of shows about suicide, um, you know, a couple of webcasts. And, you know, I would, you know, encourage you guys to talk to someone, you know, and if you are no longer employed or you don't have insurance or you're underinsured, there are different programs out there that will work with you, you know, so don't be discouraged. Look for it. Do your research. Like I said, you have to encourage yourself and then turn around and be an encouragement to someone else. So moving on, you know, um, there are a few things that I wanted to talk about. Um, at John Lewis's funeral, Bill Clinton stood up and gave his little talk. You know, Bill Clinton, the one y'all think is the first black president, and to this day I still don't understand what you all saw in the Clintons, right? And he had the nerve to blaspheme the name of Stokely Carmichael, and also formerly known as Kwame Ture, right? Um, It wasn't okay, and there's no excuse for it. And there are a couple of articles that I want you all to go out and read. One was written by Hassan Kwame Jeffries. This is in the Washington Post. And the name of the article is Stokely Stokely Carmichael didn't deserve Bill Clinton's swipe during the John Lewis's funeral. And it's on WashingtonPost.com. If you can't read it because it's behind a firewall, just find um, BlackFreeThinkers.com on Facebook. So Facebook.com slash BlackFreeThinkers.com. Or you can go to the Black Freethinkers public page on Facebook or even the People of Color Beyond Faith. Facebook page, and I put the text of the article in there so that you can read it. And so I definitely want you to go and read that. And then another article was written by Dr. Barbara Ransby. And let me see here, where is it? Um, oh, no, what did I do with that article? It should be right here. All right, so it's going to make me scroll down. But Dr. Barbara Ransby wrote an article as well regarding Bill Clinton's swipe at Stokely Carmichael and how it was unnecessary and unwarranted. And Dr. Barbara, she she writes, you know, for different places and different periodicals or, article, or magazines or newspapers. And let's see here. I'm getting there. I posted a whole bunch of stuff this past couple of days, you guys. Just go out to the pages and take a good look at what I put out there. But Dr. Barbara Ransby, here it is. She wrote an article in truthout.org. Again, truthout.org. And the title of her article is Bill Clinton arrogantly used John Lewis's funeral to disparage a black freedom fighter. And again, Bill Clinton arrogantly used John Lewis's funeral to disparage a black freedom fighter. 
And I believe this is behind a paywall as well, but I put the text, the context of the um, article um, in the notes so you can read it for yourself. And I generally do that. And if I don't do it, it's usually because I'm playing around on my phone and trying to copy and paste the entire article on my phone can be a nightmare sometimes. So I put that there. And, you know, I'm saying that for you to pay attention because when you have these white liberals, these white progressives, these white moderates, and even these white conservatives, right, they want to choose who we follow. They want to choose who we listen to. And if there is a black person out there and they are, you know, basically heralding this particular black person and promoting that particular black person, there's always a catch to it. And you need to pay attention. Why? Because for the most part, if you go and you listen to that person's message, more than likely there are extremely white supremacist talking points shrouded, right? And they are throwing themselves behind these particular people because they know that this person is not a threat, And they know that they already have trained and groomed this person to twist these particular words and these issues into into something that's more palatable to them. And you need to start questioning that. You need to actually walk away from that because there is something wrong when that happens. And the, the, the people out here that are really on the streets doing the work, these activists and these organizers, you know, many of them have to struggle to get any type of attention. But with some of these black intellectuals and some of these, you know, black public intellectuals and some of these black academics and also with even some of the organizers and activists that are being groomed and shielded and, 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 and trained you know, by some of these larger white organizations, you need to pay attention why they want that particular message out there. Because those messages have been whitewashed and watered down, and it has just enough truth in it to make it believable enough. And because Americans are accustomed and used to being lied to, They just write it off as, you know, they may be lying about this, but this over here sounds plausible. And with the Internet out here, and, and again, you cannot believe everything that you read, hear, and see on the Internet. You have to do the research. But a lot of people think think that some of these points and these ideas and these ideologies and these philosophies, you know, you know, have some meaning or bear has any bearings because it's a little bit of truth in it. And you're used to being spoon-fed little pieces of truth while being doused with a bunch of lies and half-truths and disinformation. And if we're going to make any type of progress and move forward, you have to be able to go through those, you know, all of that and delineate and figure out what exactly is the truth. And then you'll have these so-called philosophers coming at you and and basically trying to confuse you, saying that, well, everybody's truth is different. And what's a fact to you may be, a, you know, may be fiction to someone else. And <laughs> all I'm saying is you need to be careful and you need to question everything. 
You need to research what these people are saying. You know, I tell you all the research, what I'm telling you all the time. And when I'm wrong and it's brought to my attention, I correct it. Never had a problem with that. You know, and um, so, yeah, you know what Bill Clinton did. Uh You know, he, he, you know, as Dr. Barbara says, he's had a penchant for overstepping, for going too far and for being too cocky, especially when it comes to black people. And I see some of the same parallels with Joe Biden and how Joe Biden is out here, you know, attempting to campaign, especially when he told you that you're not black if you're voting for a Republican. Now, let me make sure that I qualify this. I am not voting for Donald Trump. I'm voting for Joe Biden under duress. I voted for Hillary under duress. You know, um, this is the very last time I vote for anybody that I hate. And I believe one of the ways, you know, there are different ways that we can stop that and get the attention of the Democratic Party. And as time goes out, goes on, I'll lay those out for you guys. But, I mean, if you want to call in, you can call in. You can call in. The number is 310-982-4273. And, again, that number is 310-982-4273. And if you want to speak with me, if you want to, you know, have something to say, you have to press 1. If, I, if you haven't pressed 1, I'm not going to pick up the phone because <laughs> I don't want to catch anybody by surprise. You know, so, um, you know, um, Joe Biden, you know, it seems as though he's sticking to the script now, because when he tries to improvise, that is when he gets himself in trouble. And yes, he has a lot of black and brown people, you know, as consultants, as advisors in his campaign right now. We will see how that translates if he wins. But I believe that they are imploring him to just stick to the script. The less you say (laughs) means less room for error. And right now, from my understanding and what I've read and, you know, also body language of Donald Trump, at this point in time, Donald Trump doesn't necessarily believe that he's going to win. So that's why they're pulling all of these tricks out of the bag. And so it's interesting because sometimes when I post articles about Joe Biden and his past, you know, voting history and his Jim Crow legacy, and, and when I say Jim Crow legacy, I'm talking about the, the bills and policies that he helped construct and he helped to pass, you know, the crime bill being one of them, right? And the same thing with Bill Clinton with, you know, some of the policies, you know, even with NAFTA. There were a lot of problems with NAFTA, and that's how we lost a lot of these manufacturing companies. And they started moving to Mexico and Canada, and, and you know, it created a vacuum in many black and brown communities, and even some white communities that were basically blue-collar communities that relied on those manufacturing jobs. And then, you know, the manufacturing corporations moved those jobs. People lost their jobs. People were losing their homes, you know, um, and, you know, many other, you know, factors that played into that. But, um, you know, I just find it interesting that Bill Clinton felt as though he had the authority and the wherewithal to make these comments 
during John Lewis's funeral. And I'll give you the exact comment that he made. He said there were two or three years there where the movement went a little bit too far towards Stokely. But in the end, John Lewis prevailed. And apparently Bill Clinton does not understand, you know, some of the black radical history or black radical tradition that also influenced John Lewis, you know, with SNCC, S-N-C-C. Go look that up, you know, and um, I'm just saying. There are a lot of black people that don't understand this history either. And as a side note, Diane Nash is still alive. Maybe you all need to give her her flowers now. Give her her due, due, you know, give her her due, you know, recognition now. Diane Nash is still alive. Send her a note of encouragement. You want to do something constructive? Thank her. So, you know, and there are many other ones, I mean, that are still alive. And I'm just bringing that up because of Bill Clinton and how, there are some people out here, especially some black people, who will summarily dismiss you with any, you know, type of criticism or critique of the Democratic Party, right? And that is problematic. And I need for you guys to understand that it's problematic and to understand why it's problematic and how and where. Because we have a right to critique the Democratic Party just as we have the right to critique the Republican Party. But as they say, Einstein says, insanity, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. And the road that we are going down, mm-mm, nothing is changing. What they're doing is they're just shifting it around. White supremacy is still in full effect. You know, and, and it's interesting because you have some of the Democrats wanting to restore the Voting Rights Act and and especially Section 5. And, you know, and yes, that has that's one of the reasons why we're having a lot of the problems we have now. You have people that want to, you know, again, victim blame and blame people in these communities, especially the black and brown community, telling us that our communities, you know, are, you know, <laughs> or are crime-ridden and poor because of us, and that's not true. They don't want to talk about, you know, again, it's the Congress. It's your state legislators, and it's the Congress who make the laws. And, yes, the president plays a part, but he does not make the laws. He signs those, he signs those bills into laws, Right? And I know many of them have been existing by executive order, and, you know, that's problematic itself. But, you know, again, it's happening. And the real people where the real anger should be directed at is the Supreme Court of the United States and, you know, um, the legislative branch, whether it's your state legislative branch or whether whether it's your federal legislative branch. And even in your local communities, your mayor. All them folks. So this is one of the reasons why I think we need to have another discussion about civics and how it works in this country. But again, um, Bill Clinton should not have felt comfortable enough to make that, you know, that type of assessment 
And basically, you know, if he's saying this about Kwame Ture or Stokely Carmichael, can you imagine what he has to say about Fred Hampton? I mean, we saw how he attacked Sister Soldier, and, you know, again, I had some issues with some of her, you know, her, her words, but he chose, you know, a black woman to attack publicly. And in this case, you know, the Clintons are seeing the direction that this country is going in as far as the people wanting to take back control of this country. And they're seeing, you know, some, some, some people and some movements and some groups that they were categorized as being radical and extreme. And again, this is about white people wanting to, to tell us who our leaders should be and me telling you to take note of that and pay attention to the leaders that, you know, they're, they're putting in our faces. Now, you know, I have some issues with some of the things that John Lewis did, you know, but also some other activists and, and icons or legends, as you all may call them, out of the civil rights movement. You know, so it's not just, you know, um, John Lewis and it's not just Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, you know, um, even Andrew Jackson, Maynard, all of them, you know, it's, it's a bunch of them. And my issue with them then and with some of the leaders of these movements now is that they have found a way to commodify blackness. So they're selling little bits of these movements and of these, you know, these, these progressive stances, if you will, or some of the progressive um, results that have come out of, you know, these, these black movements. And they found a way to commodify and to sell it off. And you're seeing the same thing now. And that is what I take issue with. And But I want you to pay attention to the ones who are benefiting the most, who are capitalizing off it the most. You know, this is not an accident. These things are being done on purpose. They want people that they can control. But they'll give them, you know, a little bit of this, that, and the other <laughs> to, um, to, to be the overseers, if you will, of the black community and to sell you on their talking points, to sell you on their agenda. When it um, is it's very dangerous. And we're going to have a hard time moving if we continue. So it's extremely important that you pay attention to that. And even within the black atheist community, there are people who have found a way to commodify this. And they're being used to recruit black and brown people to the atheist community. And you all don't know the whole story because there's money laundering and a whole bunch of other shit happening in the atheist community as well. You know, and again, I've talked about the sexual depravity, you know, and the predation. And, you know, go and look it up. Look it up. And what's interesting is with some of these bloggers, particularly the white atheist bloggers, particularly the white feminist atheist bloggers, they have fallen off. Why? Because they were nothing but gossip columns. 
So now after a few lawsuits, all of a sudden ain't nobody got shit to say about nothing. Especially some of these social justice now activists. Five, ten years ago, when we were talking about social justice and human rights, some of these people were the same ones saying, do not tag me in this. I have no opinion on this bullshit. But because their relevance has depreciated and has decreased, now they're jumping on the social justice human rights train. Why? Because they need a, a, a way to stay relevant. They need to be able to sell their story. Even though they really don't care, and if you pay attention, everything that they do is structured. Ask a question, ask them questions that do not necessarily pertain to whatever PowerPoint presentation they gave you. Ask questions that are kind of tangent to it. Take them off their talking points. And you will hear stuttering because they don't understand it, nor do they care. They're just trying to profit from it. They're trying to capitalize it. They're trying to commodify. I just need you guys to pay attention. Pay attention to who the players are and what benefits they get from it. So anyway, going back to all of this, you know, again, it's about them trying to pick who our leaders are trying to tell us what's good for us. I've had a white person tell me that black people don't know who's good for us or what's good for us, which is why they try to make all the decisions. And as I've stated before, we're out of time. We are out of time. And if you're not figuring that out now while we're going through this depression, because this is not this is not a recession. Even with what we went through in 2007, 2008, and President Obama was calling it the Great Recession, mm-mm. was a great recession for white people. It was a great depression for black and brown folks. And I'm looking for the leapers. I haven't seen anybody leaping off buildings, and that's because they're te- keeping a lot of that off the news just like there are protests still happening all around the country, and they're not putting that on the news. And, um, yeah, like I said, things aren't always what they seem to be. Perception is not necessarily reality. And I definitely want you guys to pay attention to that and to understand what's happening, you know, what's happening around you. But, yeah, we are in a second great depression right now. And if you pay attention to the cheddar tater tot, if you notice, he's not bragging about the economy so much anymore. He's, he's you know, he's trying to talk about his old glories, right? So it was the... We've had the best, you know, employment numbers for black and brown people. I've done more for black people than than anybody. I've done more for Christians than Jesus himself. Are you all paying attention? Back in the day, if someone said, <laughs> told Christians that they were doing more for them than Jesus or God, they would be called blasphemers. But yet, 
the right Christian community and some black Christian communities are following behind Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, the estimated percentage of black people who are going to vote for Donald Trump is 13% now. And that's across the board. I'm not just talking about the 13% of black men that voted for Donald Trump the first time. Now it's supposed to be 13% across the board. And that's quite a dent. And especially since they've put Kanye West out here to serve as a way to split the black and brown and the young vote. So they're trying to get, they're trying to splinter the Democratic vote and confuse people. And that's what's happening right now. Again, this is not a coincidence. This is all by design. And another article that I did not post, but I wanted to talk about it, um, this was over in Bloomberg. And the title, of the, the title of the article is, Is Kamala Harris Too Ambitious to Be Vice President? And again, is Kamala Harris too ambitious to be vice president? Now, this right here is a ploy that they embark on, you know, quite often. And because there are quite a few white men that do not want Kamala Harris to be the vice presidential pick. Now, we all know where I stand on these things in regards to um, Elizabeth Warren was my choice for president. And if Kamala Harris is chosen to be the vice presidential candidate, so be it. You know, it's, it's a ticket, you know, her and Biden, and I'll be voting for her. But again, this is another undercover way of them trying to undermine a black woman who's definitely qualified for the position. Now, I don't like a lot of Kamala's policies, what she did in California when she was the state's attorney, nor when she was the attorney general. And I've called it out and I've posted articles about it. But again, when you post articles criticizing or critiquing, you know, Democratic candidates, now you have people saying to us, oh, that's fake news, or you must be a Russian bot. And it's so funny because when people call me a Russian bot, I just laugh. So you're trying to determine that I'm a Russian bot, but you can't figure out that your pastor is pimping you. How does that work? So anyway, and see, this is the thing. You know, we have the the receipts to to basically, you know, um, we have the receipts to back up our claims as far as, you know, Joe Biden and Bill Clinton and the crime bill and Kamala Harris and what she was doing to, you know, um, you know, poor people and particularly black and brown poor people in California, some of the policies that were that that she put in place and some of the prosecutions that, you know, that that hurt a lot of black and brown people in California. There are receipts for that. You can't just make that type of shit up. And that's one of the problems that quite a bit of this stems from religion, um, the, you know, religion, patriarchy in our communities, because even if they weren't raised Christians, you know, they may have been raised, 
you know, Muslim, they may have been raised black Hebrew Israelites, or any of this. Patriarchy is one of the, 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 the overshadowing umbrellas in the black community. And I believe that's one of the reasons why you had a number of black people who did not, could not, and would not vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. Because in the Bible, you know, as they follow Paul more than they follow the words of Jesus Christ, Paul said that a woman should not be over a man. And they're applying that in these situations as well. So, yes, he's going to pick a woman, but it's going to be a hard, hard fight there. Because there are a number of women, black, white, red, yellow, brown, that have a hard time with women in positions of authority. And especially in the black community, you see a lot of that. You know, um, even in some of these churches where the pastor is, you know, got two left feet. He's as wrong as two left feet, right? But he'll get up there and dismiss any type of conversation as idle gossip, and rumors and, and, and things like that. And, you know, got five different kids in the church by five different women besides his wife. And they, all those kids look like him. That big old watermelon head look just like him. But how dare you speak against the word, you know, against the man of God. Right. And you're seeing that in, you know, within the political arena to a certain degree. This is a man's world. This is a man's job. Women are too emotional, you know, or she's a sapphire, right? Or she's a mammy. Now, some of those categorizations are true for some people. However, you know, if a woman is, especially a black woman, if she's very intelligent, She's more than qualified. She has, you know, all the credentials. She has, you know, um, you know, the education or the so-called needed education and all of these things. And they're still trying to find ways to undermine her. I had a, a conversation. I was in New Orleans and I was at a Power Rising conference and I was catching a shuttle bus back to the airport. And I was sitting next to this white woman and she started bringing up the presidential election. And I was like, you know, what did I say? I said, um, I think I said Lassie would be more qualified than, than a Cheddar Tater Tot. And she was like, well, what about Kamala Harris? She was like, but I don't think she has the experience. And I was like, and Donald Trump does? I was like, she was the state's attorney and the attorney general. She has more, she has more you know, um, experience than Joe Biden does. Truth of the matter, even though Joe Biden has been in the in the um, a member of Congress for a long time, I'm talking about she has actual practical experience out here, um, you know, working in state governments and understanding how state governments work. And you know, and I'm aware of Joe Biden's you know past and the positions that he's held, you know, in local politics and all of that. But he's been in Congress for a long time. The world has changed to a certain degree. Um, it's just interesting because she's just too ambitious. And this is coming from some of the big financial backers that he has. You can go and read this article for yourself on Bloomberg.com. Is Kamala Harris too ambitious to be vice president? 
And, you know, you have these Wall Street donors, these wealthy donors, you know, particularly wealthy white men who are afraid of people like Kamala Harris. They're afraid of um, Elizabeth Warren, you know, women that they can't control, women that are independent, that are thinkers, you know, women that are self-assured, they have self-esteem. They know exactly what they want. Yes, they have ambition. But God forbid, if you will, she shows any anger. And one thing I will tell you out there, black women, black and brown women, you have these folks out here, including a lot of black people, who will turn to you, and especially black women, and it drives me nuts sometimes, that will turn around and point at another black woman and say, well, she's angry. Why is she so angry? And again, white supremacist talking points. Look, that anger more than likely is righteous anger, is passion. If someone calls you angry, don't back down. Don't get embarrassed. Don't, don't, no. Take it back. Don't let them do that to you. When they say that, more than likely they're afraid of you and they're afraid of what you know and what you're willing to tell. And it's so funny because I saw a meme the other day and it says, you know, it said basically, that some people's reputations are intact because you have refused to tell your side of the story. Maybe we should start telling our sides of the story and let everybody know what's really happening, what really happened, and and just put it out on Front Street and do the, and dare them to sue you. And then bring all that shit out in court too. So, yeah, so, yeah, you know, I mean, to run for president of the United States, that takes ambition. So what, they want her to be demure? They want her to be quiet? They want her to just go along with the program and act as though she does not see and understand what's happening in a good old boys network or club? That's the reason why some of your pastors don't want women pastors, don't want women preachers, because they'll see and know what's really happening in the background. And if some of you actually really knew what your pastors and your preachers and these folks are really up to, you know, it'd be more of you leaving the church. And that's another reason. Let me tie it all together here. You know, you have a lot of people leaving the church and you have folks out here selling atheism as a possible alternative. However, again, many of them are employing the same tactics that are used in church out here begging for money every time they turn around so that you can supply them a lifestyle that they prefer and so that you could help them be a vehicle to espouse and to sell these Walt supremacist talking points. You're not paying attention. And I've been telling you all all of this from 2011, 2012 till now. I've not, I've grown, but I haven't necessarily deviated from my course. As a matter of fact, I've probably gotten more radical. And I know that I have because I've, I'm reading a hell of a lot more than what I was reading in 2011, 2012. I'm seeing this. I'm watching what's happening, and I'm applying it to my life and the lives of people that I love and care about. And I was doing that then as well, but now, you know, it's, um, 
you know, it's imperative that you do that. It's imperative that you you take these lessons and you learn from these particular lessons. And so, again, you know, I just wanted to talk about that and to bring bring it to your attention, right? And I just want to let, you know, those people that are commodifying blackness and capitalizing off blackness, I will tell you this one thing, and you need to understand this, those white people that are shielding you and grooming you, they won't be able to save you. And they're not going to. So you can keep trying to to fool yourself. But those white allies, those white alliances will only go so far. I posted an article about that. Those white alliances will only go so far. And now you're going to make me go back over to my Facebook page to find it, and um, but it's, it's, it's very true, you know, and um, it's still interesting about what the media, the mainstream media has been allowing to be seen. You know, you still have these protests happening across this country, and we're still dealing with the federal government sending in so-called federal, um, you know, officers and agents and again, what they're doing, they're declaring martial law without declaring martial law. And one thing that I do need for you guys to understand, especially some of you black Republicans out here or you black libertarians or some of you black nationalists, Hebrew Israelites, you know, no teps, all of them, especially those particular people and these white nationalists, white supremacists, alt-writers, and eugenicists that are out there. You're not going to be able to hold back progress, especially when the people put their mind to it. And some of you don't care about being on the wrong side of history, but, you know, we, we shall see, you know, how all of that worked out. But, yeah, they've declared martial law without declaring martial law. And they are snatching people off the streets. You know, they're not identified. They don't have on a badge. They're putting them in unmarked vans and cars and things, and nobody knows where they're going. And, I mean, but this has been happening not just with these federal troops. These happens in, this happens in major cities. In Chicago, they have several black sites. And these are sites where they take people and nobody knows where there are. People will be gone for days, weeks, months. Some of them never come back. And it's interesting because someone posted an article about it and said, why didn't I know about this? And I'm like, I talked about this. As a matter of fact, when I was a part of Black Lives Matter Chicago, when I lived in a city, we had a summer camp for the black kids in that particular neighborhood. And it was right across the street from one of the black sites. And in that particular site, what they did, what they're doing now, is they're building a new police academy there. I've told you about this, and I'll continue to tell you about this, because it's important that you all pay attention and that you understand what's going on and what's happening and why what's happening to these protesters and, and um, organizers is going to have to come to a stop because basically it's, it's about to get worse in this country. 
And especially because now they've taken the moratoriums off the rent, the mortgage. They've taken the, the, the enhanced unemployment benefits. Um, they're basically um, allowing these corporations to incur no type of liability. So you can't sue your job for forcing you to come to work. You contract the coronavirus and you die. You can't sue them now. So you need to pay attention to what the hell is happening out here. And whether you want to accept this or not, and this is black, brown, white people, but especially you white people, you really don't want to come to this reality and this understanding. You, if you are worth less than $500 million, liquid and hard assets, you are white trash by today's standards. And the reason why I can say that self-assuredly is because we now have the trillionaire class. And some of you are not paying attention. But you are a slave, what, which is why on my page I say, I say that um, Drapedomania in the seventh circle of, her, of hell. So again, Drapedomania in the seventh circle of hell. Black and brown people have been living in the seventh circle of hell for, since the beginning. And now they're gentrifying it and dropping white people over here. And we're looking at you like, welcome. And you're looking confused. And trying to figure out how to get out of that. There are over a million millionaires that lost their millionaire status. And one way you fuck with white people is you fuck with their pocketbook. Because that's the only thing they understand is money. And you have a lot of black people that are in that category too. But you are basically enslaved. Why? If someone can sit there and tell you, yes, we have a pandemic, people are dropping dead, walking down the street, and they may not have symptoms the first, but they come into the office and they give it to everyone else, and it was mandated that you be there, you cannot turn around and sue your employer for endangering your life, and you have to show up. And if you don't show up, these states have these databases in which they put your information in there, and to a certain degree, you become unemployable and then you're ineligible to receive any type of federal benefits? What the hell do you call that? Seriously. And if you go back and you look at some of the largest slave insurrections, you would see that it was the white indentured service servants that were working alongside the slaves and they were rising up and fighting together, and that has been discouraged ever since. And this is why I talk about these ethnic white folks, these honorary white folks, and why the Venn diagram of whiteness was increased, and they're steadily pulling other you know, cultures and races and ethnicities into it so that these people can continue to perpetuate anti-blackness to keep us in check. Because everything that is negative, we are held up as the example of it. And we not only get it from the different cultures and ethnicities and, you know, in this country, we get it from other folks. Some of these Africans from the continent of Africa are off the chain with their anti-blackness. But anyway, let's go back to the white people now discovering that they're slaves. Uh-huh. Welcome to the jungle. And if this isn't telling you that you are not valued and that they feel that you are not worthy, I don't know what else to tell you. 
They told you, here's $1,200. We're going to give you an extra 600 bucks a month for a little while. And now many Republicans feel like you deserve nothing more. But I'm not just going to pin it on the Republicans because there are some moderate Democrats and some progressive Democrats that feel the same damn way. The only difference is a lot of these Democrats have learned to shut their mouths. So, again, that goes back to them being nice and polite and smiling at you, and you think that they're not racist because they're trying to, to, to be halfway nice to you. And I'm talking about when it pertains to black people. But even when it pertains to white people, they don't respect you. And I need for you all to understand what the hell is happening. And the part that you're playing, and yes, we are seeing more white people get out into the streets because they don't have the things available to distract you. You know, this whole thing with the baseball and the basketball coming back has been an utter disaster. I don't know what the hell, you know, the Marlins did. The fuck are you all doing? How did that happen? Almost the whole team is infected. How does that work? You know, so it's just really interesting. But, yes, you're being forced to go back to work. You're in a position where you can't complain. And even before the coronavirus came about, you were scared to take a day off from work because you thought you would lose your job. The measly two weeks they give you. And in some corporations, it builds up to three, four, five weeks. And they found a way to cheat you out of that. If you don't use it, you lose it. It used to be a time when they would pay you out for your vacation days, your, your paid time off, your sick days. If you didn't use it, they would, they would pay you out for it. That's long gone. So when I'm talking about the bell is tolling, I'm talking about us in general, but especially with black and brown folks, we can't wait anymore. Time is, time is up. So what are you going to do? Because what I need for you to understand is that we have been studied from our hair follicles all the way down to the tip of our toes. They know exactly how we're going to respond, why they've trained us to respond that way. And when you respond, if you're thinking and you're responding outside of the box, that is when you become problematic. That is when you become so-called radical or extreme. And what's interesting is things that were once considered radical or extreme is now normal. When FDR brought about the great deal and he was talking about it and and they were drafting up the legislation for it, people thought that it was radical for people to get unemployment insurance. People thought it was radical for people to get Social Security benefits. People thought it was radical for, you know, troops to be guaranteed loans so that they can buy property. It was considered radical for troops to be able to get money further than education and a number of other things. Well, it's normalized now, but things that need to change, like a single-payer system for health care. You have people out here who are telling you that health care is a luxury. No, health care is a right. And some of you are falling for it because, see, this is one of the things that I'm seeing, especially now, that you have these black people, some brown people, you know, some black people, some brown people, and especially some white people who will get out here and say these things to you. It's automatic response. 
And they don't even realize that they're automatically giving these fucked up ass talking points. But we have to learn how to respond to that differently. Not only verbally, but also, you know, with, with, with our intellect, also with our vote, with all of these things. You know, you know, look, I think the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are fucked up. I hate the libertarians. Anyone who knows me knows that. That's why I posted an article about this, this, this black chaplain that's running against Tom Cotton. And he's the only person running against him, but he's a black libertarian. And when I posted it on my wall, I put amused. Because if you speak to many of these black libertarians, they don't understand the history of the libertarian party. And they don't necessarily understand the full tenets that make up the foundation of the libertarian party. And many of them do not understand what they're trying to usher in will be more of a detriment to them and their family than their white colleagues and counterparts. Because, again, it's shrouded. Those white supremacist talking points have been shrouded and they've been made, they've, they've been remixed or revamped to be more palatable, not only to white people, but to black and brown people, too. And because, you know, some of these Latinx people who have now been invited into the the whiteness Venn diagram, some of them really truly believe that they are white and will argue with you and will tell you, you don't talk to me like that. I'm white. Y'all better pay attention. Better ask somebody. And I want to tell some of them you're only considered white because of statistics, the census. They do not want white people to understand and to know how their numbers are um, dwindling. And the only really true white people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. I've talked about this a number of times. So if you're not from Western Europe, Australia, or America, you're not white. Or the true definition of white created by white people. They're just giving you a few bonuses and perks to do their dirty work for them. But I'll walk away from that, and I'm going to leave that alone for right now. But I'm going to come back to it. And um, there's one specific article that I definitely want you guys to go and, and read. And, again, this is in the New York Times, so it's behind a paywall. But if you find it on my blackfreethinkers.kim page, you know, my um, Facebook profile, you can follow me there or friend me. I don't care. And if you go to the Black Free Thinkers public page, and if you go to the People of Color Beyond Faith, what I did is I posted the article, and I post the context of the article, all the text in there, so that you can read it because it's behind a firewall. But the name of the article is Body Bags and Enemy List, How Far-Right Police Officers and Ex-Soldiers Planned for Day X. Again, Black Bodies and Enemy List, How Far-Right Police Officers and Ex-Soldiers Planned for Day X, right? Who wrote this? Katrin Bernhold, K-A-T-R-I-N-B-E-N-N-H-O-L-D. And this was published yesterday, and it was updated today. But it's a very, very interesting story, and it talks about what's happening in Germany. 
And I remember bringing stories to you about what was happening in Germany, how the, you know, these, the neo-Nazis and white supremacists were marching in Germany, how they were marching in France and Italy and a number of these, you know, Western European countries, right? And I would post them. Sometimes people would get angry with me. Why are you posting this? This is happening over there. And I'm like, this is coming to a city near you. Because what I need for you all to remember and understand is that when Barack Obama won office of the presidency, you had a lot of these white nationalists leave this country and go to these other countries. And, I mean, it was happening even before then, this global white supremacy movement. But when Barack Obama became president of the United States of America, many of them went over to Europe and some of these other countries because, I mean, some of the same shit is happening in Africa. Okay? Same thing with Canada. They're having these movements. And David Duke was kicked out of every civilized Western European country that there was. It was sent back to the United States. You have Breitbart, Steve Bannon, that's been traveling all over the world and establishing, you know, um, Breitbart offices until Steve Bannon got in a little bit of trouble. But don't believe they fired him. They said they fired him, but he's still there. Trust and believe that. Maybe he's a consultant now. Maybe somebody needs to look into that. Maybe I'll look into it. But what's happening in Germany is they had, you know, basically – aggregated a group of, you know, police officers, ex-police officers, soldiers, ex-military, you know, you had doctors and lawyers and, you know, a number of different type of people. So it was an aggregation of, you know, white folks that consider themselves, you know, part of the old right. They don't necessarily accept the new Germany. Um, and some that are just, again, you know, nationalists, white nationalists. And they were putting together a plan for when the world basically went to hell, but specifically in Germany, that when day X came, that they would be prepared. So, you know, they were training each other, buying like you know, um, 50 rounds of different types of ammunition, all of that. They found even an old, like, little village or some type of resort area that had been abandoned. And that was going to be where they all met up. It was near a creek, so they would have fresh water. It was in the woods, so they would have wood to build, you know, houses and stuff. And basically, they were going to bring their families there the day that society fell apart. And they had been planning this. And again, a lot of the majority of this took place online. So when you hear us talking about these white supremacist, you know, networks that are out there, this is happening. And not just there, it's happening here too. And it's important that you understand. I see we have a call. Let's bring 202 on the line. Let's see here. I pushed the button. 202, are you there? Not quite yet. Hey, Kimberly, how you doing? Jacob, how you doing? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, Loud I wanted and clear. to add to it. Yeah, what I wanted to mm-hmm. add to it is Russia is actually hosting a lot of these alt-right groups. Actually, like exactly. white supremacist group, Russia is hosting them and give, providing training and providing material support, physical support, every kind of support you they want and money. So exactly. throw that into the mix and mix it all together. And that's what you got going on right now. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. But also with, the, you know, the issues and, you know, the problems that we're having in this country, that shit that happened in Charlottesville, nobody is asking mm-hmm. why it happened in the city where Donald Trump has a resort. And no one is asking about the white Russian money that was used to help that 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 congregation happen. See, nobody's mm-hmm. asking. And also, even in the white atheist community, there is a lot of Russian money being, you know, being funneled through the white atheist community. Ain't nobody asking about this shit. Nope. No, they're not. And look at me like I'm no, crazy when I bring it up. You know, because when I was talking about the black nationalists and white nationalists and all the racism and atheist community, they were looking at me like I was crazy. Then four or five years later, they acting like they discovered something. Ain't that some mm-hmm. shit? I know. You know, but I mean, one of them thought about. I don't know hmm? how. Right. I said they act like, oh, we didn't know. I don't know how you didn't know. Right, but they were too busy mm-hmm. dismissing me and Raina and a number of other people. Are like, look, this is what the fuck is going on. That's not. That's not the atheist community. They were too busy trying to convince me and others that when they were Christians, they were racist and sexist and all these things. But when they became atheists, all of that went away. They tried to attribute all of those negative characteristics and base natures to Christianity, which is not the truth. But you know that they became clean. And that's why I used to always say, "Where you dipped in the blood of the four horsemen, what the hell is happening?" Because it just sounds like yeah. a you know a remix you know, story about the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a lifelong non-believer, and I mm-hmm. never fucked with those damn alt-right types and those uh, libertarian types. In fact, that's why I did become more popular in the black, I mean, the atheist community, because I saw them was like, these people are stooges. And yeah. then when I joined the black atheist group movement, I was like, ew, a lot of these people are stooges, too. You know, exactly. you got black libertarians. I'm like, what the hell is this? And and you got the same white people that are like libertarians and the black atheist movement. And that's why I said bump it. I created my own shit. Right. And you it's know? interesting because there are a lot of um, black libertarians. Well, okay, they're becoming black libertarians. But that's because of the example that's being put forth in front of them, not only the white atheist community in general and the so-called strong men that are libertarians. You have some of the so-called black leadership that are putting out here these black liberty—I mean, I'm sorry—these white libertarian talking points. And so, because some of them are, you know, influential, you have some of the blacks over here. They're like, "Oh, well, I don't want to be a Republican, but you know, libertarian—that's a little bit better." But actually, no, it's not, because it's basically, worse. Far the, worse. The, it's far worse. And one of the first things I Mm -hmm. ask most black libertarians when they try to have a conversation with me, one of the first things I ask them is, who is Ayn Rand? Mm Mm-hmm. And they have Uh, no uh, idea. um, Right. Exactly. So if you don't understand Ayn Rand and objectivism and how all of this came to play, then you really don't fucking understand what libertarianism is and how it was built into the vehicle that it is now. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a political so policy, really... a political thought that doesn't work at all. It's kind of like the Republican Party right now. Their stuff doesn't work. Never has worked. Never will work. Exactly. You know, As a matter of fact, work. there's an article. It doesn't. There's an article. I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. find it, and I'm gonna post it today. And it's talking about how some libertarians, you know, basically created a city, and and used all of their talking points, their policies, and their laws. And how it was a complete and utter failure. I need people to read that. 
and to understand mm-hmm. that it does not work. And look at what's happening again, as you said, with the Republicans. They are in power. You know, they just lost the House, but they have both. And look at where we are. Mm-hmm. GDP dropped yeah. by 32.9%. Do you know how much fucked up shit you got to do to make that happen? <laughs> and they're still trying to blame the Democrats. It's like, they're not in power. You are. You own that bag. They're right. blaming people. It was Obama's exactly. fault. Oh. <laughs> right, exactly. But see, but I'm going to go back to what I was saying about this this network of, you know, okay, so basically it says the group grew out of a national nationwide chat network for soldiers and others with far-right mm-hmm. sympathy in Germany. And so there was a parallel group that came out of that, and they started, you know, they called themselves um, North Cruise or Northern Cross, right? And mm-hmm. that group is still growing because they have not necessarily charged. They charged this one guy, but basically they turned into misdemeanors and basically they were kicked out. So no one has been charged or penalized for creating this network of damn racism and white supremacy and their attempts to basically people who have been supportive of refugees, as they call them, or immigrants in that country, they had a list of these people's names and addresses and information about how some of their homes are set up so they knew where their bedrooms were, all of that. They they were going to gather those people up on day X and they were going to bring them out to the woods and they were going to execute them. They had bought, you know, about yeah. 30 body bags that we know of. And I'm pretty sure they have a hell of a lot more. And, and mm-hmm. nobody wants to talk about this. And that's happening yeah. in the United so the- States as well. And, and see, but see, here's the new talking point that I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen. Now that Ammon Bundy has, has said that he supports the defund the police, you know, component of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, mm-hmm. now, number one, I was shocked like a motherfucker when I heard that, right? And mm-hmm. number two, he's supporting it for all the wrong reasons. And what I mean by that, it doesn't have anything to do with him not wanting to the police, you know, to have policing powers and that type of government oversight. I understand that's problematic across the board. And that's something that we can all mm-hmm. agree on. But because when you have these white militias and these white nationalists and folks like that, and even with these libertarians, these white libertarians, again, they want, they want to have the right to discriminate. They want to have the right to, to deny people their equal rights and all of these things. And, and we have to be very careful when dealing with these people because, again, they shroud it to try to make it more palatable to whatever audience they may happen to be speaking of. But black people are smart. We've been through this. Mm-hmm. We've seen it and we can see through it. And, you know, I'm throwing up some red flags with Ammon Bundy. And, and, and the reason why I'm throwing it up is yes, he wants those things to go because they want anarchy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you need to understand that and know that. Yeah. And with the libertarians, like, you know, at one point, you know, some of the crazy-ass laws that the state legislature passed in Arizona, people were able to discriminate against people that were atheists or non-believers. They couldn't go in a particular restaurant. And, you know, the atheist community was acting like they were outraged. But the thing is, is that the majority of them are libertarians. They weren't outraged. This is what they want to do. That is a wet dream for them. 
And that's why I don't understand mm-hmm. some of the black so-called, you know, Republicans and libertarians that are heralding things like this. You know, the black ones, I'm like, really? Do you really understand and know mm-hmm. what, what, what they're advocating for? I don't think so. No, and then they, they want to turn them, around. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. them are institutionalized. They're ex-military and they're institutionalized. So they right. haven't gotten that stuff out of their brain yet. They, you know, they believe the BS, but they hadn't done the necessary research to understand exactly what's going on to it. Then you have another class of, like, I've, I've noticed it in my group. And what it is is that these people are actually paid. They don't believe exactly. Stuff. They're paid to put that stuff out there. And that's right. why whenever I find one in in BAAU, I boot them immediately. I don't even play with them. I boot them. So now exactly. they're trying to come back with the hydroxychloroquine actually works. I'm like, okay, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Let's move on. Right. <laughs> but see, this is the thing. You, and I mean, you're absolutely correct. And this is the thing right mm-hmm. here. And what I've been trying to get mm-hmm. people to understand, Donald Trump and the Republican Party, they were gathering up black people and offering them jobs to go to these different states and go to these different black churches and preach the gospel of Donald Trump and to get black Christians particularly and also in the black community to try to, try to persuade them to vote for Donald Trump, not only by the words of these so-called black authorities, but also with those giveaways. They were giving away money and, and trinkets and all of these things at these different black churches in the black community in an effort to buy mm-hmm. black votes. And we've talked about it, and I'm going to have to go and get those articles and put it up there so people can understand why this is so dangerous and how oh, even we with got some one of the black in Tallahassee. People, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah but see, got, check it. Yeah, you got one oh, in yeah. Tallahassee. I told you about that one, how they wanted me. Yeah. I was going to take a shot at his behind, and they said, no, we already got it. <laughs> you don't have to do nothing. Jimmy. Right. Well, I hope they go after Kim Daniels, too, because she's problematic as well. Talking about thank mm-hmm. God for slavery, and but you know, she's a so-called Democrat, oh, but... Hmm? Oh, you know, you already know, you, you know, this is the one that backed her up, and he's a closeted Republican. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I know. I know. I know exactly I, who you're I talking say his about, name? which is why I brought up should Kim Daniels. I know. I should I damn. say his name? Go for it. Greg James, Reverend Greg exactly. James. He is a ex-felon. He is a crook, and or he was a crook, and he's been selling all kinds of crazy things at his church. Like, oh, we're going to teach you how to how to buy and sell stock, and join this investment club. And all this other stuff, things that should not be happening at a church. But apparently, so, he didn't learn from Eddie Long, because remember when Eddie Long uh-huh. and Newberg got into all that trouble when they had those so that so-called black investor come in, and people were uh-huh. you know people were investing their money in that, and it was nothing but a pyramid, a Ponzi scheme. But the entire church, uh-huh. the way it's set up, white or black church, is nothing but a big old Ponzi scheme. It's a pyramid scheme, and when you start showing uh-huh. people how the, the church is set up. And all of they don't want to believe it, but yeah, I mean they run games like that all the time in church. And also, mm-hmm. if you go to one of them, you know, one of them churches that will allow people to come in and sell you fake Gucci's and fake Prada and all of that stuff, the pastor gets a cut of that money. He gets a percentage of the sale. Mm-hmm. So don't fool yourself. Oh, and yeah. he gets one or two products to give to his wife. You know. Oh yeah. And then another thing they do, another little game they play is when they have political candidates to come out there, oh, you're supposed to donate, like, you know, a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars so they can give you a chance to speak. 
or you right. know, or so he can endorse your candidacy, you know, and get yeah. a few thousand dollars here and there so we can make sure all the old folks come out and vote as a block that we have in our little uh, in our little center. They come out and vote in the block for you. The whole system right. corrupt as hell. Right, and that's why I'm bringing this to the attention of the black and brown community because we're getting it on all sides. And Mm -hmm. um, I just Mm -hmm. don't want them to be fooled. But, you know, what's happening over in Germany with the story that I was just talking about, the same thing is happening Mm -hmm. in this country. Do not believe that these white people just sitting around eating Twinkies because that's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I have Mm -hmm. to, you know, say that, you know, you have these black militias that are popping up and they're marching all over the country, right? And that's a show mm-hmm. of force and power that white people were not expecting. But again, I was I was talking about how some white people are now being forced to see what's really happening mm-hmm. in this country and how black and brown and red people are really being treated. And that's why you see some of them on the streets. But this is nothing to what really should be happening and what is upcoming. Because, see, now... You know what I'm loving about it? You know what I'm loving? Wait, 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 wait. That mm-hmm. $600 is gone? Your guaranteed, you know, stay of rent and mortgage, all of that is gone. And now not only will some of them be homeless or damn near homeless and can't afford a Big Mac for them and a damn Happy Meal for their children, they're going to be out here marching. And I don't, mm-hmm. think that, I don't think that the federal government is ready for that. But that's what's getting ready to happen, especially since we Americans don't deserve anything. But you want to pump money back into these damn criminal organizations called corporations, right? And, and again, mm-hmm. I, I would tell people, go watch the Panama Papers. Watch that documentary. And it, you know, it explained to you why the United States was not necessarily caught up in that particular um, scandal. Why? Because the United States in and of itself is um, um, like a shell corporation, right? So mm-hmm. you can launder mm-hmm. money through the United States, and that's what they've been doing, but especially in certain states like, you know, um, Delaware, Nevada, and there's a few more. But this country was built and founded upon money laundering, and the only reason why this country didn't go belly up in 2007 and 2008 when we had that issue with, you know, with the mortgage crisis and all of that, the reason why our country didn't go belly up is because of drug sales, illegal drug sales, and money laundering. I need for you all to pay attention. Well, yeah. Like the thing I'm loving watching right now is I'm loving, I'm watching these, uh, the, the white militia movement. And I'm I'm loving how these guys are breaking up now because the true believers were saying, hey, all the stuff that oh no, you're cutting up, honey. Do. Okay, go ahead. Oh no, can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes, okay, sir. Okay, I said all the stuff that they thought Bush was going to do, or they thought that uh, Clinton was going to do, or they thought Obama was going to do. Trump is doing. Exactly, because he so is the ultimate conspiracy theorist. He's bringing it to life. Now that even that movement's broken. Oh no! no the real break problem it. is the Republicans. Can you hear me now? Well, yeah, I can hear you. The Republicans, but we can't okay. leave the Democrats out of it because a lot of these, you know, so-called oh, I, moderate no. and progressive ones are really Republican light. They just knew that they couldn't win a seat as a Republican. I know some politicians in Chicago that ran as Democrats, and they will admit that they're Republicans, but they knew they would not be able to win as a Republican. Rahm Emanuel. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Right. I got something. I got. I got a yeah. bone, a rom stuck in my throat. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had one in Tallahassee. Um, Allison mm-hmm. Tant. She was the party chair. Her husband was the one that got Daddy Bush. I mean, sorry, Bush, Bubba Bush off the uh, off the hook. He got gave him the election, but her her she ran as a Democrat. She became a Democrat, and she turned around and um, became party chair, ran the party into the ground. Mm-hmm. Turned, and that's turned the Democratic the Party right into a garden club. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but that's what's happening with the Republicans now. And see, and that's the mm-hmm. thing. Steve Bannon told it from the beginning that Trump was coming into office to challenge all of the status quo, to push the envelope as far as he can put it, to push it, and then have it implode from the inside. This was done by design. People are sitting there looking and saying, this is amazing. How did this happen? This was done on purpose. And that's because mm-hmm. you're not paying attention. And that's why I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it and black people are looking at each other like, you know, what manner of bullshit is this? And people were looking at me crazy, especially when I was talking about the gospel of Donald Trump. Look in the archives, you'll find it. And I would talk about how the way Donald Trump set up his election and his presidency and his, you know, it is built up like a damn mega church. Okay. And mm-hmm. when it comes to churches and especially these mega churches, those business plans are solid. They are absolutely mm-hmm. solid, and this is what he, this is what Donald Trump did, and that's the reason why it's resonating so much with these black megachurch pastors, you know, because mm-hmm. this is something that they're familiar with. And so again, it's mm-hmm. nothing but a pyramid scheme. And I'm like, what the hell? But this was being done on purpose because they want to break the government from the inside, you know. And one of the reasons why they were having some of the problems that they had with Rex Tillerson was because one of the main components of their strategy or their agenda, the Trump strategy or agenda, was to basically decimate and implode the State Department from the inside. Now, if you go and you read some of these articles, it talks about how they have low morale in the State Department and how jobs aren't being filled. That is being done purposefully by the Cheddar Mm -hmm. Tatot and his administration. So, you know, and and they want to get rid of these other departments, like the Department of um, um, Housing. They want to get rid of that. They're trying to destroy the Department of Education from the inside. And, again... You know, again, there are some Democrats that agree absolutely with what Donald Trump is doing. They just don't have the guts to say it out in public. But, well, they're getting the courage now because he's emboldened and empowered them to say these things. Well, you know. Yeah, and here's the thing now, and here's the thing what's going on now, too, is like if it wasn't for the Rona, there would be mm-hmm. a lot of Democrats right now that would be out of office, a lot of yep. them. The Rona yep. actually kept – some of the progressives home and that's why they're like so gung-ho against AOC and that whole crowd is because what they've been doing is actually turning the Democratic Party Democratic. Right. <laughs> so right. you know that's that, you know that's that's my crew and I, I like I like how they do things because they're gangster about it. They're like, no, we're just gonna remove you. And you know like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that the oh, yeah. about the Allison Tant, that was her oh, yeah. buddy. She got forced in there because of him, because of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But she was also buddy Bob set up Graham. to a certain degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buddy, buddy Bob Graham. Mm-hmm. He was another one. 
Yeah, he was another one. I can tell you a funny story about Debbie Washerman Schroes. And a lot of people don't know this, but, and if anyone has any questions about it, I was there. I was sitting right there. It was at my table at a Democratic Party event fundraiser. And a city commissioner went up to, actually didn't go up. She came to our table. And he said to her, looked her dead in the eye and said to her this. He said, what are you going, okay, I see what you've done for gay marriage and things like that, but what is the Obama administration and what are you going to do for black people? Exactly. And Washington's response was, quote, what do you need? You are, we already got you, Obama. Yep. That yep. A, lot of, a lot of Democrats, white Democrats, believe that shit. Proceeded him to go all the way off on her. And this happened at my table um, what about what four or five years ago now? My mm-hmm. table at the Democratic Party dinner that that happened, and that's exactly what happened. And that is the story. Anyone says I'm I'm lying, I can get the receipts. I can tell you who was at the table. Even my dad was like, I like that I like that county commissioner. He he got a set. He got a pair. Right. And that's it. And that's the type of people that we need. In the Democratic Party. Actually, we need those type of people in politics, period. People who aren't scared to speak truth to power. Right. And, and see, and that's the whole thing. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you because, again, you had Republican, white Republicans, and white Democrats that will tell you we got Obama in office. Isn't that enough? What do you need reparations for? What What more do you need in your community? You got it good. You know, you could be somewhere with a damn, you know, a spear. You know, <laughs> in the nose ring, running around the jungle somewhere, you know, riding on a damn lion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how some of them think, mm-hmm. and that's what they believe. And they believe that putting Obama up there, and see, the thing is, Obama himself was Republican-like. But don't nobody want to talk mm-hmm. about that. People don't want to talk about the drone hits or nothing. But see, with um, Debbie Washerman Schultz or whatever her name is, I know who she is, redhead with the curly hair. You know, she got mm-hmm. set up. She got set up, you know. Now, what she was doing was wrong, but the way all of that mm-hmm. came out, the way that came out, that was dirty. But sometimes you have to fight mm-hmm. dirty with these people, you know, because between mm-hmm. her and Donna Brazil, they really fucked up, you know. And Donna Brazil oh, yeah. hasn't oh, yeah. necessarily been able to recover from that either. She's still feeling the effects of that, you know. But mm-hmm. anyway, it's just the whole thing is a trip, but yeah, no. I just had to definitely tell them, you know, about what was happening mm-hmm. in Germany you know, and what's happening in this country. You know, the but first it's really time more... I heard about Obama, mm-hmm. now that's going to sound kind of crazy, but the first time I heard about Obama was from Steve Coakley. Steve Coakley did a tape, one of his tapes. He says that he said that back in, I think it was 90, 1998 or nine, somewhere in there. Okay, he and he did the 94 uh-huh, speech. Huh? Huh? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, yeah, was, I'm, go ahead. It was, it was back in the day. I'm not quite sure on the thing, but it was Steve Coakley. And mm-hmm. he said, I, I was there when he said it. And he said that, he said, somebody like this guy right here, Barack Obama, he had just, this is when he was um, made it to, um, to the law school, and he was at the law school when he, um, he um, became the editor. And he said, mm-hmm. this is the type of person they're going to run as president. And, you know, he threw out a bunch of conspiratorial stuff in it. He's actually he's actually Whoops. in this black fraternity. Mm-hmm. He's actually in this black off all these different things. And 
So then when he, you know, appeared in front of the Democratic, you know, um, and um, convention, I was like, I know who this guy is because I heard all Mm -hmm. this stuff before. And I was like, huh. And then I talked to another friend that is in the Chicago scene, and she was like, he's going to be the next president. I said, it's a little too soon. You know, he needs to get some more time under his belt. No, she said, he's going to be the next president. In Chicago, they talked about it. The, the elite in Chicago said they, they played a certain game and, you know, and said, look, no, this is the guy we're going to run, and this is when we're going to run him, and he's going to be president, period. Yeah, because they had been grooming Barack fraternity. Obama from the beginning. And yeah. Yeah, they had been grooming him, and, you know, they, mm-hmm. they funneled him through the black churches in Chicago, and they told him, if you come in there with a white woman, black people ain't going to listen to you. That's why he ended up marrying a black woman. But that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. you know, there are kingmakers out here, you know. But, see, there are a couple other things mm-hmm. I want to get to, and we're down to the last 11 minutes of the show. But, you know, there's a couple mm-hmm. of things I want people go out and read. Um, I want you to go and read this article. It's over in Newsweek. And basically it's talking about how I'm waiting for it to come up, how ICE, the title of the article, ICE Offering Citizens Academy Course with Training on Arresting Immigrants. Again, ICE Offering Mm -hmm. Citizens Academy Course with Training on Arresting Immigrants. And it's on Newsweek.com. It was written by Chantel De Silva. It's very disturbing. You want to go and you want to read that. And we already know who many of these damn people, who, they already want to go out and arrest, you know, and, and, and kill black and brown people. You got folks running around now acting like they're police officers and detaining black and brown people. So I need for you all to be careful um, with that and what's yeah, happening happened with in Florida that. just recently. Yeah, exactly. But I also want them to go out and read this article in Vanity Fair. So VanityFair.com, the title of the article, How Jared Kushner's Secret Testing Plan Went Poof Into Thin Air. Again, How Jared Kushner's Secret Testing Plan Went Poof Into Thin Air. I posted this on my wall as well. So you can you can find that as well. But this is in Vanity Fair, and it was written by Tom Bennett. And basically, it's talking about how they had Jared Kushner, that he came up with a national testing plan and how basically when they saw that the people that were being primarily impacted by the coronavirus were in blue states, it went away. You know, the plan Mm -hmm. went away because they wanted to use it as a political cudgel against the Democrats. So these were blue states and they wanted to talk about, you know, the, the blue state governors, the Democratic governors of those states and use it as a political, you know, um, tactic or ploy. And the same thing is happening now with them sending these federal troops into these democratically ran cities. And it came right out of Donald Trump's mouth saying that he's sending them to cities that have democratic mayors because they've lost control and that they need strong men. I um, brought the word strong man up a few times. That's because I want you to go and um, read up and do some research on strong men. And and. Uh-huh. and on how they were used in in Russia, (laughs) in Germany, and how they're being used here. But you need to read that article because I have been saying from the beginning that they weren't testing these people on purpose because it had become a false narrative about it being a black and brown, you know, disease. 
But now that it's touching mm-hmm. these red states and a lot of older white people are dying from it, now Donald Trump is saying that he's a patriot and patriots wear masks and you can't get any more patriotic than that, any more patriotic than him. Now they want people to wear masks because a lot of his voters are dying off, you know, and so yes. um, I definitely want you all to read that. I want you to read an article with very smart brothers, um, Damon, he wrote an article and the title of the article is White People Won't Save You. Again, White People Won't Save You. This is on The Root and is written by a very smart brother, specifically Damon Young. You need to go on um, and read that. And then one, this one last article that I'm going to bring up and I want to talk about it a little bit. And this is on the freebeacon.com. Again, freebeacon.com. The name of this article, The Wages of Woke. Again, The Wages of Woke. How Robin D'Angelo Got Rich Peddling White Fragility. And this is written by Charles Lehman. Charles Lehman, right? And so basically, you know, if you want to do a comparative analysis, uh, Robin D'Angelo wrote a book called White Fragility, and she gets paid a lot of money to conduct these seminars to white people for anti-racist, um, you know, work and all of that. And you see a lot of white people, cap, you know, capitalizing and commodifying anti-racist, you know, activism and organi- organizing, right? And you see some black ones. But again, this is white people basically capitalizing off of oppressed people to a certain degree. And Robin D'Angelo is doing the same thing that Tim Wise did. And again, Tim Wise, and why a lot of black feminists have an issue with Tim Wise and how some of them are having issues with Robin D'Angelo. Because, you know, if you go and you read the article, it's, it's very extensive. It has a lot of information in there. But again, um, it's just amazing to me how she's becoming very wealthy off of the oppression of black people. And our plight and what we've gone through. And, you know, to be to be honest with you, there are a lot of white people that will not listen to black people. They will only listen to other white people. Right. But however, you have some black people who used to say, I don't not involved with this social justice stuff and stop tagging me and stop asking me. Now, all of a sudden, they're, you know, for social justice and human rights. And they're trying to 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 market themselves and brand themselves as that when they don't really give a damn. They're trying to make money because why? They're irrelevant. They're, they're, They're irrelevant. And basically, they're trying to find a way to commodify, again, blackness and capitalize off of blackness. But this article about D'Angelo is very informative because when she first put this book out, she was saying that she was going to give a monthly land rent paid, you know, get it paid to the Native American tribe that used to occupy Seattle. And so some people from the Washington Free Beacon began contacting the organization she listed as recipients of her largesse, right? She scrubbed her website, removing the names and dates, you know, of her giving from the public domain. However, what she doesn't understand is that you have cached pages. And especially if you use Wayback Machine or any type of internet archive, you can go and find all of that stuff. So for those of you that think you're erasing stuff, it's there. I had a situation where they went and scrubbed the page, but I had already taken the HTMLs and created PDFs. I just chose not to sue you. Okay, so don't don't get that twisted. Mm-hmm. Hey, buddy, I know you're listening. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, um, well. it's a lot of that happening. 
And you have white people that have found a way to capitalize off anti-racist, you know, um, organizing activism. But you got some black people that are trying to capitalize off of it, too. Right. So I just I need for you all to just pay attention to what's happening because you're going to see more of this. And if you want to get a better understanding of what she's out here, her and Tim Wise and some others are out here selling, they're talking about the politics or, you know, the culture of whiteness. And if you really want some good information about whiteness and its culture and, and, and its structure, I would advise you go and you read some James Baldwin. Because he's the one that actually built that platform or, or the, the, the narrative of whiteness, if you will. So, you know, you want to learn more about it, go and look at the expert. But, you know, again, using those critical thinking skills and questioning some of these people out here. And, you know, she became a very, very wealthy woman from this book. As a matter of fact, um, a 60 to 90 minute keynote from her is 30000 a two-hour workshop, thirty-five thousand. A half-day event, forty thousand. And she made money from the book, but she makes her money from touring, and she makes her money from public appearances. And you're seeing a lot of that in these communities, especially the you know the atheist community. You know these people, especially the ones that have gone full-time atheist activism. You know they're they're trying to make the money that way and off Patreon. And I need you to pay attention. You have the intellectual dark web. And that's like Sam Harris and um, Jordan Peterson, who claims to be a Christian, but I say otherwise. Guys, I need for you all to pay attention to what's happening. You know, she became very wealthy off of this. And then when the, the tactics or the, 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 uh, the, um, the, the talking points and the classes and all of this stuff, when it doesn't work, she tells the people, you know, the organizers, the activists, and the followers and fans, she tells them, well, you need to have me come back out because it's not working because you missed something somewhere. Ain't that the same way Christians tell, you know, each other, especially the pastors, tell their members, oh, well, you're not being blessed because you don't have enough faith. And so with D'Angelo mm-hmm. and her concept of white fragility, she's telling them that they lack racial stamina. So what's the difference between not having enough faith and lacking racial stamina. It sounds like the same old bullshit to me. Or have I missed well, something? Am I just a jaded malcontent, Jacob? No, nah, it's like you always have the pimps out here, and there always will be. And But we, have, we, we know our pimps, and we need to do something about our pimps. So, you know. Yeah. But that's a discussion oh, yeah. for another day. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're down to the last of the show. But again, I just wanted to thank you all for listening in. Going to be doing more shows and ready to come back. And I definitely will be starting a new podcast slash webcast this year. You know, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to go ahead and get that started this year and more information is forthcoming. But again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. Jacob, tell us who you are and what you represent. I'm Jacob Eaton with Black Atheists Agnostics United. I'm the president of that organization. Thank you for having me on. Oh, anytime. And again, we are black free thinkers, but we are not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind. We definitely aren't those type of black free thinkers. Okay. <laughs> so I got to make sure we actually think. Understand that. 
Right, 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 right. And, you know, I think I'm going to end up doing a show about Kanye and his run for presidency if this other podcast, if they don't listen to my show here and decide they want to run out and do it before me, because I know you're doing that, too. So, all right, y'all. Enjoy your Sunday. We out of here. Take care. Missed you guys. All right. Bye-bye.